Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Coach Roberts. Hey there, it has been a long day. You've had another weekend where you've accumulated at least a marathon. Yep, only this time over a course of two days instead of three. Boston's getting close. Yeah, so I'll just tell you a little bit about my workout, which... Obviously, you know what my workout was, but I had a 20-mile run on Saturday morning, and we started at 7.30. I really wanted to start later in the morning because Boston starts later in the morning, so I wanted to simulate that, but my training buddy, who is also running Boston, had to be at work in the mid-afternoon, so we needed to get up and get it done. So I got up earlier than I wanted to because I wanted to practice my pre-race nutrition and all the things. And that is so important. Yeah, I think it's really important, especially after my Mesa Marathon experience where things did not go well digestively. There was a lot going on. There was a lot going on. So anyway, the the uh, long run was 20 miles, which is, a, this is the first time I have done a 20 miler in a marathon training block in a while. And this um, marathon training block has been a little bit different for me in the past three or four training cycles, I've really focused on intensity and not as many miles. And so my longest training run may have been 16 or 17 miles, but I was doing a lot of VO2 max just to work on intensity and leg speed and that type of thing. But this time, although I have had some intensity in my training, I feel like I have worked more on volume and also much more on training on heels. A lot of your speed has been on heels. Yeah, and not a not like a huge grade heel, but long, low grade elevation, I guess, just to get the legs used to going up and down. You need to be prepared for both the up and the down at Boston. Right. And so with increasing my overall mileage and increasing the heel workout, we just didn't feel like it would be prudent to also throw in a bunch of yassos or other high intensity, high speed workout. So with that in mind, this was a 20 miler. This weekend was my long run. And the first nine miles, we started in heels, probably did, I don't know, four and a half, five miles of heels. And then we just did that at an easy zone two pace, not worried about what the pace was, just concentrating on effort. So we did nine miles zone two. And then the next nine miles we did at go marathon pace. And it's always nice to throw in some marathon pace a little bit later in your long run, just so you're mind gets used to doing the work later in the run, but you're not taxing your body as hard as doing all the miles at marathon pace effort. And then the final two miles were just nice, easy zone two again. And usually if I have a long run, by the end of it, I'm going, whew, I'm glad I only had 16 today or glad I only had 18 today. But 
I felt like I could have kept going. So it was a good day. Well, praise the Lord for that. Yep. And then when I got home, Ellie was here, but she was taking a nap. So you really reminded me and encouraged me to get some nutrition down, take care of myself. Well, let me tell you about that. Okay. So me and Ellie cooked pancakes for you. And Ellie is 25 months. So it's time for her to be learning her cooking skills, you know? So we broke eggs together. We poured oil together. We poured the milk together. She liked to taste things before it was cooked, so I had to watch that. We stirred it up, and then we watched them cook on the griddle, and we also cooked bacon. You didn't get any bacon because we ate it all, but the pancakes were pretty good. Yeah, and Jacob let me know in the last mile of the marathon pace that you and Ellie were making me pancakes, so that was nice to know. Mm-hmm. Actually, I probably prompted it because I said, ooh, I hope Granddaddy and Ellie are making some pancakes this morning. You said that? I did. I did not know you said that. No, you didn't. Sometimes we just think alike, even though we're not communicating. So something else that I think made the 20-mile run more doable is when we started, we had several... Bethany met us. Suzanne and I were doing the whole 20 miles. Bethany met us and Ashley met us to do six miles of it. And Karen met us to do the nine miles. And three miles into it, we stopped at Kelly's house and picked her up. It took a little bit of coordination. So I called Bethany and I said, hey, you're doing six miles and Kelly's doing three. I have a three mile route to her house and a three mile route back to our house. Can you take Kelly home? She's like, well, sure. So you just have to be flexible and figure out how to get it done. And then after those nine miles, Jacob met us and he paced us. He's a pretty good pacer. Yep. So Ashley and Bethany went six. Kelly went three. Karen went nine. Jacob went the next nine. And then Suzanne and I finished up the last two on our own. Oh, I bet that was hard, doing those last two by yourself after the marathon pace. We weren't by ourselves. We were with each other. Yes, but you didn't have any extra company. (laughs) That's true. So you had some challenges working out the logistics, but you got it all figured out. I did. And I didn't find out about Kelly joining us until she had texted me in the evening before she went to bed, but I had already gone to bed. And I did not look at my phone until after I did my Bible reading for the day and getting ready. And it was 7.04 when I noticed the text and we were starting at 7.30. So I had to think about how that was going to work. And then I text Kelly, told her we'd meet her at her house. It all worked out. All worked out. So after the run, my legs felt really good. And I thought to myself, self You should take an Epsom salt bath, but it never happened. We were busy yesterday. We did a ton of coaching. We did. But then I got up this morning and my legs felt a little tight, not sore, but a little tight. And I had a follow-up run of six miles, hence another 26 miles this weekend. So that might be five weekends in this training block where I've done 26 miles. Over the course of a weekend. And today was hilly also. And today was also head for the hills. So I did my pre-run warm-up. And I was very surprised at how fresh my legs felt going into the hills today after a 20-miler. So this weekend overall, 
was a pretty good confidence booster. So when this podcast is released, we will be three weeks out from Boston. So what about your week of training? Well, let me tell you about it. So I'm still dealing with a foot injury. I have started doing some test runs and trying to work through some soreness. Boston is still undecided, but prayerfully optimistic that it will be a success. So I'm still spending time in the pool, but I noticed on Tuesday, when I swam in the morning on Tuesday, I was having more difficulty breathing than I felt like I should have for the effort of my swim. And I was a little frustrated. I felt like, man, I'm taking a step backwards in my swimming. And then later in the day, I started getting chills. So I think the struggles that I was having in the pool was a sign that I was developing a bug, which came upon me later in the day. And I ended up missing a half a day of work recovering from this little bug. But thankfully, it was short-lived. And I was able to get in the pool on Saturday before making the pancakes and had a pretty good swim. I think we got in the pool Friday night to... Oh, that was a lot of fun with sweet Ellie Ann. So we took her swimming a week ago Saturday, and we go into the locker room for the family, and she thinks it's a doctor exam room. So she immediately goes into a terror fit. We get her changed. She's screaming the whole time. As soon as we take her out, she sees the pool. She's all excited. So this past Friday, we took her a second time, and you asked, hey, do you think we should get her bathing suit on before we go, which I did not want to do because swim diapers are not really all that absorbent. So I didn't want to put it on her too early. And she marched right in that locker room and knew it was time to get the bathing suit on and go swimming. So she was as good as gold. She was as good as gold. We had a blast. So I'm hoping next time her parents take her to the doctor's office she'll be in a good mood and the doctor will get to see sweet Ellie rather than screaming Ellie. (laughs) I have not been in a very good mood at the end of our most recent skip bowl games. (laughs) I've been in a great mood. You have come from behind. I used to have a five-game lead and now you have a three-game lead. This is true. At one point you had a seven-game lead, but then I crawled out of that hole and tied and then you immediately... Got a five-game lead, and I tied. And then I think I actually went ahead one game, and then you tied. So we stayed tied a little bit. But now I've been on a little bit of streak. But the game is just silly. Like It's been embarrassing, the, the cards and the order of your cards. You're just stealing my, you're just stealing my slander now. <laughs> we won't really get into how aggressive you can be when the cards are in my favor. <laughs> Aggressive is not the word. Irritated, the word. Verbal spousal abuse. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I just say, that's just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Well, let's get into the podcast topic for the week. Well, were you finished talking about your swimming on Saturday? Because I kind of had to jump in and throw Ellie's Friday swim in there. I was. The, The swim went much better having... Got the bug behind me. I did have to cut the swim short to get ready for my sweet Ellie time. Another thing, too, I haven't had a chance to ask you is I uh, made you slow your roll 
on your short running intervals? Did it feel better running slower or did you not notice a difference? It was more of a struggle to run slower than for me to run natural. It should be less intensity on your foot though. I didn't notice a difference in the discomfort in my foot, but we'll see if I notice a difference tomorrow. Yeah, we shall see. All right, so let's move on to our podcast topic. We have a special guest this time around. Special guest happens to be... Somebody I've known since seventh grade. And I've known just a little bit longer. My brother, Harry Roberts. He is an avid cyclist. And during the winter months and some in the summer, he spends a lot of time on Zwift. And he knows lots of the ins and outs of Zwift. He's been with the platform nearly since its inception. And we really think he has some insights that you, our listeners, are going to enjoy hearing. Yeah, he's gone through all of the growing pains with Zwift from its beta version to now. And I think he still does some beta testing for new things that they create. And so if you're interested in uh, upping your game on Zwift or finding out more ways to utilize Zwift, I think you'll enjoy this podcast. We're going to bring Harry on. Harry Roberts, welcome to the RYR Endurance Team podcast. Best brother-in-law ever. (laughs) Thank you very much. So we've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a long time, and it just hasn't worked out, but I'm glad that you were able to carve out some time between work and family and cycling to record with us. Well, I just finished lifting a few minutes ago. Oh, yeah. Well, tell us about it. The Tour of Watopia is going on, so I did stage four tonight. That was How many stages? It. There'll be five stages. And you're in stage four. All right. So is it like a grand tour where some stages are individual time trials and some are team time trials and mountain stages, sprint stages? Uh, well, the Tour of Watopia takes you on different routes on Watopia, on just the one island. It just kind of introduces you to um, the different courses. Each stage has um, three different events or levels. Um, Usually it has to do with the length of the event or the difficulty. So you can choose the very hardest one or you can pick one that's, you know, a little bit easier. All right. So I was at the local health club this morning swimming and a a friend of yours introduced himself to me. And I told him that you were going to be recording a podcast on Zwift this evening. And he said, I've heard about that, but I don't really know what it is. So I think we should just Level set the audience on what Zwift is. What would you call it in your terms, Harry? (laughs) It's a virtual cycling. I guess technically it would be considered a game. Very social, but it's a a simulation of um, outdoor riding in in a lot of ways. It's gamified to some extent. Who did you run into at the, uh, was it at the health park? Don Austin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know Don. Yeah, I hadn't seen him forever. He's training for a triathlon in the summer in Tennessee and Olympic distance. And he was asking me for some pointers on swimming. Yeah. Well, good deal. So how did you do in stage four? Um, I think there were four over 400 people. And I, you know, was about 70th. Chase and I, um, which is my son, we uh, saw cut and broke up and removed some concrete over the weekend. So um, my whole body's uh, not really ready for cycling. In fact, it was so bad last night, I I attempted the same stage and had to quit about halfway through. My glute was uh, just killing me. So when you're riding Zwift, do you find certain courses to be more engaging than others? Most people uh, like Watopia, which is the the main island. 
that's probably where most people spend their time. And it's, um, it's not one of the guest worlds. You really, when you sign on, you actually have three worlds you can um, ride in. Watopia is always available. The other two are considered guest worlds and you can select those if you like, but the majority of people ride on Watopia, which is a fictional place. A lot of the other ones have a little bit of a basis in reality. And you may not know the answer to this question offhand, but I'm just curious if you have an estimate of how many miles you've accumulated on Zwift. You know, fortunately, um, Zwift keeps track of that for me. <laughs> so I'm going to pull up my uh, Zwift companion app and I'm going to pull up my profile. And this is, um, so all time, it's in kilometers, so we may have to do a conversion. I'm currently at 96,401 kilometers with 664,780 meters of climbing. And in the last 30 days, I did 1,882 kilometers. And I don't, I'm not real good at conversions, but that's, you know, I've, I've had a pretty good year so far. Yeah, that's a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. Do they have leaderboards for total mileage? Um, yeah, but I'm not anywhere close. Really? <laughs> there are people that ride a couple hundred miles a day. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of ride leaders that I'm not sure they have a day job. I think they just ride all day long. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is that a retirement goal? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we jumped right into the topic of Zwift, but let's back up and just talk a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your education, your profession, your family, and how you became a cyclist. Okay. Well, I'm 57. I'll be 58 in August. I've got three children, Chase, Emily, and I uh, almost forgot Taylor, and uh, my wife, Jennifer. Uh, Education-wise, I went to uh, Western Kentucky University and graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering. I own and operate Harry Roberts Plumbing and Heating. Kind of a little history, and I don't have a lot of sports background, but as a kid, I played baseball. In high school, I tried cross-country for about two weeks, just about died, so I quit. Through later high school and to college, I did some weightlifting. And then somewhere along the line, I started to run. I don't really remember when or where or why, but I did, enjoyed it, ran a lot, did a lot of races. And then later in life, I started riding the bike. So I remember a sport you did that you didn't mention, which was <laughs> BMX racing. Well, I did do BMX racing. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's That was quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, I kind of also left off the uh, motocross at, in middle age. You know, you don't start riding motocross in middle age when your wife's pregnant and um, break your leg and uh, tear your ACL. And <laughs> so we don't talk about that too much. <laughs> I took a little stint at playing ice hockey as a middle-aged person that, that didn't last long. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say it was a lot of fun, but uh, I caught a lot of grief about that. Yeah. The other thing I remember, was it on your honeymoon that Jennifer came back with stitches? Yeah. We don't talk about that either. <laughs> that was a jet skiing expedition, right? It was a jet skiing expedition. Um, and then uh, we were in Mexico and um, they said, don't take her to the hospital, take her to the Hilton. And so we go to the Hilton in the basement in a teeny tiny room and uh, they stitched her up. Um, <laughs> I'm sure she was scared to death. Uh, and they took cash. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a little bit shady. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, it all ended well. Yeah. So do you have goals for cycling or do you just do it for fun? Uh, I just really do it for fun. You know, um, I do have some really small goals. You know, this year it's a little bit different. 
I started, uh, I've always wanted to do a few different things cycling wise um, that are, I don't know if you call them bucket list items or just, you know, times kind of slipping away. And at some point they're going to be harder to do for me. So this year I just, I kind of got tired of waiting for people to say, Hey, I'll go with you. So I just signed up for um, the George Hincapie uh, Grand Fondo in uh, Chattanooga this year, not really expecting anybody to say, Hey, I'll go with you. I mentioned to a few people and uh, Greg Gerard jumps right in. He's like, I'll do that. Turns out now we've probably got 10 or 12 people going. So maybe it just takes one person to, to make that leap. And then he also has a grand fondo in the fall in um, South Carolina. Things go well. Maybe I can go to that too, but uh, we'll see. So when is that? The first one? Uh, it's actually, the first one's actually Mother's Day. <laughs> so we're over Mother's Day weekend. So yeah, that's going to, yeah. Kind of pushing things there. Well, you can. Um, but just, they're both. Uh, you can ride in honor of your mom. <laughs> I sure can. You know, neither one of those two rides are real suited to me. There's a lot of climbing, but it's going to be beautiful scenery and um, epic climbing, and so I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like fun. So I remember when you first introduced me to Zwift a long time ago when it was just getting started. So you were a a beta user. Talk about some of the ways that the platform has changed over the seven or eight years, however long you've been riding Zwift. Yeah. Well, that makes me feel old because it doesn't seem like that long ago to me. It was actually in 2014. I'll kind of give you a little history of what, what, how I remember it. Um, There were two guys, uh, John Mayfield and Eric Min. John was um, a cyclist and I think he was just bored kind of like I was. And I'm sure you did the same thing. I believe he maybe had a CompuTrain or two and we were riding these, you know, workouts with no visual interaction and in his spare time he started uh, he was just so bored he started creating a program that would uh, make it more entertaining for him to ride eric men was the financial guy and uh, he heard that john had uh, this little program so he flies to california to meet john and then overnight zwift starts probably in june july august i signed up for the beta and then um, I think it was early October when they actually launched the uh, first world. It was called Jarvis Island, a little bitty, teeny tiny uh, map, but it was um, by far the best thing that I had ever done indoors on a trainer. And when I signed up, uh, I was actually the 320th beta user. So I still have 320 as my user ID. So I've been on there a long time. Things have changed dramatically. Jarvis Island is not around anymore. I think right now there are nine different worlds on Zwift. The pandemic um, drove people to the platform. They had more users last year than they've ever had. There's just so many different events. I think um, just racing, because I'm more into the racing, I think about every week there's about a thousand races on Zwift. You know, uh, the only other thing I think of that really changed for Zwift, originally it was PC only, so it was a little bit limiting. And then uh, probably the biggest thing they did to attract new users was uh, developed the iOS version. And when they did that, that opened up Zwift to a, a completely different audience. Almost everyone had access to uh, some type of iOS device. PCs are still probably the preferred way to game on Zwift. It's just a, a whole lot more detailed. You see more shadows, more textures in the road and those kinds of things. But yeah, the uh, the growth has been amazing. It's just unbelievable the things you can do on there. Um, I would say... You know, and, and I'm really involved in it, but there are so many things I don't even realize are going on in Zwift uh, that other people are doing. So as the 
platform grew, what did it become glitchy or did they seem to be ahead of it and have the server space to handle the traffic? You know, they certainly had their problems. They seemed to handle them pretty well. There were times when it was very bad, when, when the growth was so quick that, that their servers couldn't handle the load. But that was usually in the, uh, in the for us in North America, it was the worst part of the season. It was um, early January was typically the peak uh, Zwifting time. And, uh, you know, having a crash then uh, didn't work out very well for people trying to ride. But they usually uh, had the system back up and running pretty quickly. I was doing some research to try to figure out how many people use Zwift. And I didn't find any real current numbers as far as the number of subscribers and maybe you know, but I did see a, a chart that indicated at some times of the day, there could be as many as 7,000 riders. Does that sound about right? Yeah. The peak Zwift day, I think it didn't occur this year. I think it actually occurred last year during the pandemic. And I don't remember, but I think there were um, 30 or 40,000 concurrent users, which means if you signed on at that time, there were 30 or 40,000 other people Zwifting. So right now on Zwift, because uh, my companion app tells me this, there's 8,727 people Zwifting. Oh, wow. So there's always somebody to draft off of. Always. And at, at times that was a complaint. It was basically when just Watopia was the only world available, that there was just, it was just too crowded. But with opening up the other worlds, there's, you know, it certainly helped. And Watopia is a pretty big, they call them maps. Uh, it's a pretty big map. Some parts of the map don't get used as much as other parts of the map. On Watopia, I, I don't particularly like the jungle. The surface there is, um, it's not really gravel. It's more of a dirt surface and the rolling resistance is higher. So you go really slow, just kind of like in real life, if you're riding in dirt, it takes a long time to go around the loop. I also don't like the Alp that much. On Watopia, uh, they have a simulation of Alp Duez. I've been up at so many times that I, I just almost don't want to do it again. One of the things in Zwift, there's badges for accomplishing things. And one of them is for climbing the Alp 25 times. I did that pretty quickly, you know, maybe climbing it a couple of times a week. As soon as I got my badge, Chris Ampley says, hey, man, would you ride with me so I can get the badge? So uh, I ended up riding it a bunch more and it was just miserable. You know, it takes, uh, for, for me, it takes about an hour. If I'm going really, really hard, 55 minutes to climb the Alp. It was fun the first few times, but then it, you know, it got, got, got a little bit boring. Uh, the trip down is amazing though. So it's, is it 55 minutes of hard riding? For me, I, I would have to be riding um, pretty close to my threshold. Yes. Uh -huh. So 3.2, 3.3 watts per kilo to, to get up the Alp. Um, and it would be for anybody. It's, um, it's not terribly steep, but somewhere between 3.3 and 3.5 watts per kilo to, to get under an hour. So you talked about the ground surface in the jungle. I know in some of the worlds, there are cobblestones. What do you think about the cobblestones? You know, the cobbles, they're not as noticeable as the uh, jungle. My trainer, I have a tax Neo. It has a feature called um, real, I think it's real feel or road feel. I have it turned off. I just didn't really like it. Zwift can send signals to your trainer to simulate different road surfaces, uh, not just the cobbles, but when you go across a wooden bridge, trainer attacks Neo. I don't know about most of the others probably don't do it. You'll feel it shake. You'll feel it vibrate like you're actually on your bike going across a wooden bridge or going across some cobbles. I rode with it uh, like that for a while, but then I turned it off. I just didn't, um, I didn't like the way it felt, <laughs> but yeah, there are some cobbles. There's actually a mountain bike course too that, that uh, is um, actually in beta, been in beta for 
four or five years. Uh, we've ridden it a few times, but it was more of a novelty. We just rode it a few times to think to get a bike or a badge. I can't remember why, but but we did. So there are different bikes in Zwift. I, I know there's a, a time trial bike if you so choose to use one. Have you noticed the different bikes behaving differently or performing differently? Yeah, you know, um, there's uh, all kinds of third-party uh, websites and things that uh, go along with Zwift. Uh, Zwift Insider is probably the biggest, ZwiftInsider.com. They have all kinds of uh, testing of the bikes on different surfaces. The time trial bike is just that. It, it won't draft. Even if there are people around you, you're not drafting off them. Most people don't typically ride a time trial bike. There are individual time trial events. I've done a few. They're pretty fun. It's kind of cool when you're sitting in the starting pin, you're on a conveyor belt, and uh, you kind of launch uh, riders out the start in front of you. And then um, some events uh, we do team time trials in. And team time trial, we don't ride um, time trial bikes, though, because you want to draft in a team time trial. There are some climbing bikes. For the most part, most courses are not steep enough to warrant a climbing bike. There's a Tron. Everybody sees the Tron. The Tron is the uh, bike that has the glowing wheels. Everybody wants to get that bike. You have to earn it. Most people don't know how to uh, sign up for it. Not just me, but other people. Uh, most people probably ride for a year or more before they realize they actually have to sign up for the challenge. And I think I've got a note here. It talks about the, uh, the requirements for the... Uh, ah, here it is. So you have to sign up for the uh, Climb Mount Everest Challenge. And then you have to uh, climb the uh, height of Mount Everest, which is 8,850 meters, but you have to keep going. You have to climb 41,150 additional meters, and that's when you unlock the Tron. And so that's a total of 50,000 meters of climbing or 164,000 feet where you get the Tron bike. So you can imagine if you didn't sign up for it on day one, how frustrating that is because you lose all the climbing you've already done. So I want to digress for a second. I, I tend to go on tangents on podcasts a lot, but I want to go back to before the alternative courses were available, people were complaining that it was too crowded. Like for me, I'm not a huge gamer and that type of thing. And I can understand like in real life, how it would get messy if there were too many people on a crowded course, but in the game itself, how did overcrowding impact your actual ride? It, um, it almost like in real life. I mean, it, it's it's kind of uh, visually, it's a little bit unusual to ride through constantly a bunch of people. Zwift's not perfect. It um, you don't always go around another cyclist. Sometimes you ride right through them. You'd almost have to experience it, but there just wasn't any uh, open road. Uh, you know, you just didn't ever ride in a spot that um, there weren't a bunch of other cyclists. That reminds me of something I've seen on Zwift before, and it happens, it just happened every once in a while, and it's been a while since I've been on Zwift, but I noticed a few times when I passed somebody and I actually went through them, there was a, a face that showed up on the screen looking at me, a small, you know, character face, but it was a, it was an angry looking baby face. Yeah. Well, I've heard of people saying that. I don't know that I've ever <laughs> experienced that. Maybe I'm just not a, as observant, but I have heard people say they see things like that. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a, um, what do they call that? That uh, Easter egg. Game. Yeah, an Easter egg. Maybe it's an Easter egg. I, I was never able to take a screenshot to back up my story, though. We need some evidence. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I've seen you actually post before. If it's not on Strava, it didn't happen or something. So Harry likes the, <laughs> Harry likes the evidence. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jarvis Allen. Can I do that real quick? Yeah. Yeah. This kind of goes back to how things started for me. Zwift has always been a, or they've intended it to be uh, social. So there's no instruction manual. What Zwift really wants you to do is they want you to ask questions. They want you to interact with other other people to, to, to learn the game. So I, I say when I first got on, it was just Jarvis Allen. I would ride every day at about the same time. And they're just, you know, we, we were talking about less than a thousand people probably riding around Jarvis in a day. So there was always 20 or 30 people on at the same time I was every day. So we kind of got to know each other. The little island was only 4.8 kilometers. I think that's about three miles, but it was awesome. It was like 10 times better than, um, you know, what I'd been doing. You know, I tried tried that CompuTrainer software and it was kind of exciting at first, but, you know, actually interacting with other people, chasing people, um, it was just amazing. And then uh, I don't know how we started racing. Uh, there was no formal racing. I think somebody would post on Facebook, hey, we're going to race at 5 p.m. tonight. Uh, everybody just show up at the the banner and you just sat there and everybody had their internet clock going on their PC. And at five o'clock, everybody took off. Um, there really weren't any results, but uh, you know, but man, we had a lot of fun doing that. And I say racing thing for me has been a blast. So I've been on there since 2014 and I don't know how many races I did the first couple of years, but a website came about in 2016 called swiftpower.com. And it was amazing. It would uh, pull all your data together and people consider it to be the official results because they have the ability to uh, disqualify people. The main reason they disqualify you is if you enter a category that's below the category you should be riding in. And so, so they came about in 2016. When I looked yesterday, they, they've got 850 uh, of my races uh, that I've done since 2016 on Zwift. So that, that's, that's quite, a, quite a few. So a lot of times I was racing two or three times a week. But I don't know if that was excessive or not, but it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Still is a lot of fun and it gets better every day. Some of the problems with racing in Zwift is that Zwift Power does do a good job of getting the results right and disqualifying people as needed, um, but it's all done post race. So you can have a guy in your category that's racing uh, below his category and can affect the race, but it, in the end it gets disqualified, but Still, he's been in your race and he's influenced uh, the outcome of the race. Finally, this year, Zwift has started trying to do some auto categorization. Um, they're doing some beta testing on that. Um, so basically what they'll do um, when you try to enter a race, they just don't make it available to you to enter a lower category. That's a huge improvement. It's interesting to see how they did it. It's slightly different than Zwift Power. Zwift Power does it based on um, just simply watch per kilo. And they have a minimum wattage threshold too, but Zwift's going to do it. Um, they don't tell you exactly how they do it, but I believe they pull like three different data points on your uh, power duration curve and then categorize you based on that. So it's a probably a better system. It's a more robust categorization system, I believe. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I was doing a little research on cheating in Zwift and there was a, a bug that was identified I'm not sure the time frame where if you changed your weight in the middle of an event, it would allow that to happen. So you could dramatically increase your speed in the middle of a race. But I've heard that they have implemented a fix to prevent that from happening. 
Yeah, we. Uh, I was in the same Discord server with the gentleman that posted that video. He was um, a pretty active uh, participant in uh, Discord, and uh, apparently uh, through racing, uh, in his racing contacts, someone had made him aware of the bug, and I believe he honestly didn't believe what they were telling him. And so he videoed himself trying this exploit and he published it in a little uh, blog post or a WordPress uh, posting, got a lot of attention, got Zwift's attention. Uh, Zwift uh, banned him, actually gave him a shadow ban. They actually uh, said that he was promoting cheating on Zwift by making a video, but the community kind of rallied behind him. And a couple of weeks later, uh, Zwift removed his shadow ban. And then about two weeks later, they actually fixed the exploit. The biggest concern was that by all accounts, uh, Zwift had known about the issue for maybe as much as two years um, and just failed to, or, or just ignored it. And, uh, but the real interesting thing is um, this was right in the middle of um, ZOR, which is the Zwift Racing League, which is the largest racing series on Zwift. It was right in the middle or real close to the, uh, maybe we had two races left. So this exploit becomes um, very well known. Swift says that they can track it on their servers. The company that puts on the ZRL series, which is the WTRL, they also say that they have the ability to um, spot it in, you know, in the results, um, but they had not ever flagged it up to that point. So the very next race, um, we always race on Tuesday nights, um, believe it or not, two people get caught using the exploit which is just unbelievable because everybody knows they were going to be watching for it. So if two people get caught after everybody knows you're going to get caught, it's just amazing. Or it's hard to believe how many people might've already been using the exploit. Yeah. From a exploit standpoint, it seems like the preferred avenue is to let the developer know about the exploit before you let the public know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Swift already knew about it. Uh, they, yeah, they do. And I think there were even some screenshots of um, some forum posts that, uh, from a year or two ago, uh, making Zwift aware of it. Um, so they did, they handled it very badly. But in the end, I think it worked out well. Maybe some positive changes at Zwift. I think they're working on some kind of bounty program. I personally think that some type of bounty program, or you're probably more familiar with what um, happens in the computer world, but, you know, give Zwift some notice. And if in a few weeks, months, if they don't take action on it, then I think it's okay to make it public. Yeah. As long as they've had sufficient time to address the issue. And especially if we're talking about a gaming platform rather than, you know, something life-threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, it's going to take it a little step farther because you asked about um, how bad cheating's been. Just, you know, uh, I say I've been on it for quite a while, but uh, several of the high-end racers, the ones that are actually racing for, um, you know, more than just the glory have been caught cheating. I was going to look here and see in 2019, I think was probably the biggest or the most well-known disqualification. Uh, British Cycling disqualified their first e-racing national champion. That was Cameron Jeffries. He not only lost his results, but he also received a six-month ban from both e-racing and regular racing in a fine of was $320 US. And his violation of the rules was kind of interesting to me. Uh, he used a bike in the game for a race that he didn't earn himself. So he, the way I remember it, he hired somebody to run a bot on his account so he could level up and get a bike that he didn't physically earn himself. And that's penalty. 
So that's kind of interesting, you know, um, he felt the bike was important enough to pay somebody to get it. And, and he, I, I think in his defense, what he said was uh, he was racing against other people that had the bike and he just physically didn't have enough time to get the bike before the race. Um, the other at the time was pretty well known, Scotty Weiss, W-E-I-S-S. He's a pro ex-pro. He was racing in uh, some of the higher end that required verification for the race results. Uh, they tried to verify your power. He failed to provide data to race officials or the performance verification board. And they sanctioned him with just a disqualification. And he wasn't eligible to participate in the remaining Tour de Zwift Pro-Am races or any future Zwift sanctioned races until otherwise determined by Zwift. I mean, he had some pretty uh, good background in racing. He was a former USA national road champion, a USA national crit champion in the master's division. At one time he held the Everesting world record holder. Um, so it's, um, you know, cheating's probably more prevalent than we realize. We'd like to think everything's fair, but uh, I guess it's uh, kind of that way in uh, all sports. Uh, if somebody can find a way, they, uh, they'll, they'll try to use it. It reminds me of the doping issues that we have in professional cycling and maybe in other professional sports as well, but it's more commonly talked about in cycling that there's just a lot of different ways you can cheat the system in Zwift. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the way Zwift calculates your speed, it's based on your height and your weight and then how much power you're pushing out, which translates into watts per kilogram. And so the higher watts per kilogram, the faster you're going to go. But, but I guess, you know, positioning on the road makes a difference and then road services and, and bike capabilities. There's a lot, but as far as the cheating aspect, I guess the biggest way people could cheat is to fudge their weight. That, that by far is the biggest way to actually cheat. You know, um, there are a lot of other people that are, uh, some people would say they cheat. Some people, you know, I don't think they intentionally cheat. I mean, uh, there are a lot of trainers out there that are uh, inaccurate. Some of them, but just by the nature of them, some of them require calibration that people don't do. So, I, you know, it's a kind of a gray area for me. Uh, are they cheating or, or, they, or do they just not know? So there's a whole lot of people probably that just don't know how to get their equipment accurate, especially accurate enough to, um, to race. You know, if you're not racing, it probably doesn't make that much difference. That's kind of the argument of, you know, do you want something that's precise or accurate or both? Um, I'm kind of in the camp. You need them both. You know, if you're on Zwift with um, power numbers and you eventually get a power meter or something for outside, I mean, if they both weren't um, precise and accurate, how do you compare those two numbers? You know, you, you can't, um, but that's kind of all, how I've always been. And in the upper levels of Zwift racing, not only do they require you to um, use a very accurate trainer, there's only about four or five trainers they'll let you use. The trainer actually has to be within plus or minus 2% accuracy to qualify for the higher end races. And they also require you to do dual power recording. So you must have another power source and you have to record it separately. And they'll require those riders to actually submit both power source files for verification to actually compete in those races. That'll probably never make it down to the community races, but um, there has been some talk that races could be uh, limited uh, to certain trainer types because um, you can have a trainer that's 20 or 30% off. Everybody recognizes this when it's 30% low, but nobody recognizes it when it's 30% high. So on a side note, the Roberts family, extended family, has traditionally gotten together for Sunday lunch, and all of that was shut down for a couple of years due to the pandemic. 
when we went back to the Moonlight Buffet Sunday, did you have to adjust your kilograms? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, probably should have. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been one to um, move my weight around a lot. I usually just set it and leave it at some number that's in the ballpark. And I kind of feel like that's what most people do. Racing in the Zwift Racing League was a little bit different. Not every team, but it was highly encouraged and it, they could ask for verification. The team I was on, we did have to do height and weight uh, video weigh-ins just once. During the season, I actually lost some weight. So I did a couple more videos uh, because it was beneficial for me to do so. But they kept them private and uh, they were only there if somebody contested our results. For me, that's a positive step. I've been reading a few articles this week. There's a big concern in Zwift or around Zwift with eating disorders. It's a little bit foreign to me. I don't have that problem. Uh, I have just the opposite problem. Um, so it's hard for me to understand. There's a three-part series going on right now. I've read the first two athletes' uh, discussion about their struggle or how it's affected them. Both of them seem to believe it's affected them negatively. It both of them had such serious problems, you know, that they definitely had eating disorders. Both of them ended up being sick from losing so much weight, feeling like they had to lose that weight to perform at that level. And both of them were pretty high-end racers, but I'm sure that's very common in the pro ranks too. Uh, you know, it's at that high end, um, it's probably extremely easy to develop an eating disorder because especially in cycling and going uphill, weight is a very big determinant in how fast you go uphill. Were those a uh, male or female athletes? Uh, the, the two I've read about, one was a male and one was a female. Hmm. And I don't know, they do the weigh-ins a little bit differently in the, pre, the premier division. Um, and I didn't completely understand what they liked and didn't like about the rules changed this year uh, for them, but they were, I think historically they had to weigh within a certain time frame before each race. And, and I think some of them had been practicing dehydration techniques to get the weight down. And then there was enough time to get rehydrated before the start of the race. And maybe the change has made that difficult, but yeah, for them, it, it's a, it's a, a big issue. Like I said, I just, I didn't realize it. The team I was on, they brought it to my attention that they had um, some very, very um, serious concerns about it. There are a whole lot of issues just, I guess, that's, you know, in society in general, but maybe a little bit more prevalent in a sport that weight makes so much difference on your performance. Yeah, that's so true. I, I read about a, a different method of cheating. I just wondered if you had heard of it about connecting a drill to your crank set. Yeah. Well, you know, they're back, we're back to, uh, if there's a way, uh, everybody will cheat. Yeah. It's not uncommon or, or I've heard uh, many stories about a drill and a cadence magnet or something like that. I've also heard of a guy, he might live in this town that put a <laughs> magnet on a fan <laughs> and ran the fan. Uh, but that's been some years ago and I, he did oh it. He didn't God. just, you know, he did it just for fun. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, Everybody, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, t I take Zwift pretty seriously and uh, things like that. If I, if I see it, um, especially when I'm racing and, um, you know, you're in a category that you think you're supposed to be in and you're supposed to be reasonably competitive in, and there's somebody in there that's obviously, uh, racing out of category on a PC. It's not real hard because I run dual monitors. I can pull up Zwift power and see everybody that's in our race. And I can see how Zwift power categorize them. So if I'm racing in C and 
I can see there's four B's in my race. I'm not real happy about it, you know, just because it, it dramatically changes uh, the dynamics of the race. Um, I know. Yeah. And I don't use Zwift hardly at all now, but when I was training for Ironman, Kelly and I were both training and she borrowed a trainer from you and my trainer was trued up to actual metrics and hers was not. And we would get on to do the same thing. And she was just blowing me away, which was just irritating me to death. So we were much better riding in person than on Zwift just because, you know, neither one of us were, we were just trying to get our workout in, but on the screen, even though we could still communicate, she would, I couldn't even see her and hang with her. Even though that yeah. was not true in real life. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you another story about another local person. And she is a female. It's been three or four years ago, too. We always joke that um, she raced a little bit. And she had an FTP of like 350 watts. You know, uh, wasn't anywhere close to being realistic. But that's changed dramatically over the years. You've probably noticed on uh, Facebook or places that people sell used trainers. You just don't hardly see a, a fluid trainer anymore. Or, or if there is a fluid trainer or a magnetic trainer for sale, they almost have to give it away because mm-hmm. everybody wants um, a smart trainer. And that's because of Zwift, or at least I believe it's because of Zwift. It's mainly because of Zwift. So you're talking about somebody racing out of their category. I read something preparing for this podcast about an algorithm that Zwift was using to uh, give the person a warning if they were trying to get into an event in the wrong category. But it sounds like maybe you have more current information and they just won't let you in. Uh, that's been my experience. Yeah, it's only been uh, in the last month or two that they've started it. Um, and yeah, when you try to enter the um, event through the companion app or um, on the website, uh, only certain categories are available to me. I can I can race in a higher category. I just can't uh, race down. And it's funny too, um, you hear people argue all the time. Not, I've never thought of making this argument. People do make this argument. Well, I'm racing down today because today's my recovery day and I just want an easy ride. I'm like, well, this is a race. You know, you're in here messing my race up on your recovery day. So we talked about cheating. Let's change gears and let's talk about tips and tricks to improve racing on Zwift. I have all kinds of tips and tricks. And if you look at, if you ever look at my races on Zwift Pro, uh, Profile or ZwiftPower.com, it's not unusual for me to um, have an average wattage significantly lower uh, and my watch per kilo be lower than a lot of other racers that I, that I actually beat. Tips and tricks. And these are the ones that you, uh, you identified. Uh, join early, which is a, uh, um, an event, especially um, racing. It's very, very important to join early. Join up to, I believe, 30 minutes in advance. Uh, it'll prompt you to join. Uh, it'll take you to the starting uh, pin. Being right at the line is uh, very, very important, especially in the bigger events. Um, you don't have to stay in the pin. You can uh, exit and then return just a few minutes before the start, and you'll maintain your original position in the pin. That makes sense in real life, but I would have never thought of it in a virtual race. Well, some of them are huge, um, like the like uh, Tour of Utopia we're doing right now. Some of them are much bigger. I'd have to look, but today on some of those events, they're, they're events, but people race them. There might be 500 to 1,000 people in your pen. Uh, so if you're starting with 1,000 people in front of you, uh, it takes a little bit of effort to get through them all. So it takes um, quite a bit of time just to get to the starting line. It seems that way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
um, it's always nice to start with the uh, the lead people because they're they're probably motivated just like you. If, if you're the guy getting in the pen early, uh, you're the guy that really wants to race, and you're out there with those people that want to race. So you know you don't have to catch up to them. You're you're right there when they take off. You had a note about starting early. Uh, I think that's more about how difficult the starts are. Um, the starts are crazy fast. It's a VO2 max effort for um, usually about three minutes. Pretty much for me, it's about as hard as you can go for three minutes. But then as you um, get over that three minutes, things start to settle down. Sticky draft was something that you mentioned. It's not nearly as bad. They've modified the, um, the draft. Um, so it's a little bit better, uh, but you still do have to pay attention to that. So tell us a little bit about what that is. Sticky draft is when um, you come up behind another rider. Zwift has to make a decision or the game has to make a decision on whether you're going to go around that person or whether you're going to settle in behind them and draft off of them. The sticky draft problem was um, you would get stuck to that person and you'd really have to put in a huge effort to get around them. Uh, It's not nearly as bad now, but as you can imagine, there's that point where they have to decide whether to let you go around or stay behind the person in front of you. We also uh, save as much energy as possible. Can't tell you how important it is to draft off other people. Uh, Don't try to close any gaps by yourself. I mean, if it's a two or three second gap, you can probably close it. But if it's much more than that, um, it's just very, very difficult. Better to usually set up and uh, soft pedal and wait for other people to catch you and then to move forward with them and try to catch the group in front. Do you find when you're riding that people cooperate on on taking a lead? Most of the time, and I kind of laugh because I, I'm, I'm the guy back there sucking wheel and not doing any work uh, because I will not work. I just kind of sit there and try to stay on somebody's wheel unless it's extremely um, slow or easy. If the effort's way, way too easy, I'll try to bridge up to the next group. But if it's anywhere close to a decent pace, I'm sitting on your wheel. Uh, going to stick my nose in the wind and try to pull. There's just no benefit to it. You just you don't go anywhere in a race. You just don't go anywhere by yourself. But every once in a while, you kind of want to animate the race, I guess. And you'll try to get somebody to go with you, but uh, it very rarely works. You got to be really strong and you got to hopefully be close to the finish if you try to go off the front, you know, with one or two people. Our interview with Harry gave us enough material where we think it would be better for our listeners to break it up into two podcasts. And Harry did share a great scripture, but we're going to save his for the end of part two of this podcast. So just wondering, Mr. Roberts, do you have a scripture you would like to share? Yeah, I would like to share 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.